So before we dive into our second half of our two-part series that was originally supposed to just be one podcast, but I really just can't help myself. Uh, I fin- I finished a book, Big Shock. I love to read, and the last two books I've decided to read were huge. <laughs> the first one was um, Common Grace by Abraham Kuyper. That puppy's huge, and it's only one volume of four and it was like almost a thousand not where it's a thousand pages and that that puppy took forever but it was really good but Kuiper man he doesn't miss a detail <laughs> and then the second book I read which is the one that kind of spurred on this podcast I kind of decided to do it last minute and just wrote my thoughts down and I've finally gotten around to recording it uh, it was a book called Dominion and this author is alive <laughs> My wife likes to say that if you want to know if I'm interested in an author, check if he's dead yet. But this author is actually alive. His name is Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but the historian. Uh, they have the, the podcast themselves uh, called The Rest is History. That is with Dominic Sandbrook and Tom Holland. It's a really, really good podcast. So I suggest you go check it out. But also, I have finished the book Dominion. And after reading it, I've just... I had a few thoughts in my head. I wanted to go ahead and get out. And since this is my podcast, I do what I want. So, you know, we're just going to talk about it today. This is not a book review. I am not even close to qualified to write a book review on this thing. Like I'm, there's no way even I'm even close to qualified for that. So this is instead me just having some thoughts after the book. I did have some some thoughts about the book itself, but there are also some thoughts that this book just kind of spurred on that I just really wanted to get out. So hopefully this won't be too long of a podcast. It's just, well, yeah. First off, I'd like to explain the book Dominion. Couldn't explain it if I tried. It's huge. It covers a lot of topics, but the one major theme and its one major goal is kind of like this, this revelation that the author had. Again, that's Tom Holland. And the revelation he had was that for most of his life, he had believed that Westerners got their morals from Rome. And you hear it a lot. When I learned about the Constitution, I heard that a lot of the ideas we had came from Rome. You read about the Enlightenment, it's Rome. You read about anything, really, it's about getting back to as the Romans did. Well, actually, the Roman times is one of Tom Holland's major fields of study. He loves dinosaurs. It's what got him into history. However, Romans were what he really focused on. And the more he studied the Romans, the more he realized he was nothing like the Romans. They were very, um, today we would call it barbaric, which is ironic because the Romans are the ones who created the word barbaric to describe anyone that wasn't Roman. But in a, a twist of irony, we look at them and we would consider them barbaric. A lot of the things they did were just very barbaric. And we're very, I guess what we would say is uncivilized. So after studying that, he came to a weird conclusion. That was that most of Western thought actually comes from Christianity, which was a thought that he himself had been trying to avoid for a long time, but finally came to. Now, another disclaimer, and there's going to be like a lot of disclaimers about this book. Tom Holland is not a Christian. I am not 100% sure about his position, but to my understanding... And the assumption we're going to run off of for this podcast, I realize that that makes me very ignorant and arrogant, but we're just going to go with that anyway, uh, is that he is a socialist and a humanist. And 
There's going to be lots of details that are going to be important about that. We'll talk about later on. But for the most part, he's a socialist humanist, and that has a lot of implications it carries with it as well, such as this book wasn't written for Christians, but it was a book about Christians and about the history of Christianity and how it influenced Western thought. It starts to just before Jesus died, kind of skips over Jesus' life, uh, which was honestly just the best move for him, because if you tried to talk about Jesus' life, it's very hard from a humanist uh, if you will, secular standpoint, she talks about the word secular and where it comes from, which is really interesting as well. But basically, if you're not a Christian, that's a very touchy topic to write on authoritatively as a historian, uh, because there's some as if you were an atheist, which I'm not. But if you were an atheist, you would attach a lot of lore to, uh, to it. There's a lot of emotion, a lot of lore. Basically, if an atheist was to try and write about Jesus's life, he is either going to have to go the route of the Jesus seminar or he's going to have to just commit um, literary, um, not suicide, but literary upheaval or anarchy or revolution, I guess. He's going to, you're going to, you're going to call, you're going to mix the waters up. <laughs> so uh, he com- completely skips that, goes directly into the early church stage. And then from there, just goes on throughout the rest of history until we pretty much get to today. And it was an incredible book. I, as a Christian, felt, actually felt my faith uplifted by it but i also had a very critical brain going in i knew things about the author and the beliefs of what was going on at the time i started listening to their podcast shortly after reading the book because i felt like those two go hand in hand i love the podcast so much i literally i i I search out new episodes every single time they come out every day i'm checking to see if they have a new episode coming out because i absolutely love what they do but they're not christian and so because of that, by listening to the podcast, knowing the opinions of the author and knowing what he says, says he believes, I came in with a very critical mindset. And so there was a lot of things in there that I was able to just like show empathy on. And by showing empathy, I actually got more out of it than uh, as a Christian than a Christian would have gotten if they hadn't gone into it with empathy. A lot of those things, Christians would have thrown the walls up. And would have been like, I'm not listening to this because he's just insulting Christianity. He's not insulting Christianity. And this is, guys, this is going to be a very important point if we're going to go through the rest of this podcast. The book was not written to attack Christianity, to help Christianity, or to show any viewpoints other than this one objective and goal. That Western society has gotten everything it understands about life in one way or another from the Christian church. And that's because of just how impressively well the church had done in western society now in the end of it he does show his his cards a little bit and that we'll talk about later on and he kind of yeets the whole i came here for one goal for like literally five pages and shows his own personal views and biases which i respect Uh, you can't really write a history book without having your biases there so you gotta show it eventually or you're just showing you're dishonoring the reader so all in all it's a fantastic book. I actually encourage you go read it, but again, you got to read it with a critical brain and mindset and be, if you're a Christian, be going in knowing that you're not going to get any spiritual food from this. It's history and it's not even just facts. Like there's a lot of interpretation that's involved with it. Like 80% of it's going to be interpretation. It was very good interpretation, except for it was done without an understanding that there is a God behind all of this. So don't read this book trying to find 
if you will, trying to find God like you would if you're just reading a religious book. And honestly, there's a lot of people as we continue down 2021, I'm discovering personally, and I know the rest of the world is just recently that a lot of the people that wrote Christian books that you feed off of ended up being people with not quite the best intentions. So there, it, even if you're reading just Christian books, this is a dicey world you got to live in. You got to have your thinking cap on every single time you read, ex- including the Bible, because if you go in just trying to take it surface level, you're not going to under, you're not going to understand what's going on in the context and the history. Uh, and we'll end up trying to put words in the Holy Spirit's mouth versus trying to understand what he's trying to say. So that's a different topic for a podcast series we're going to have coming up eventually. But for right now, we're talking about the book Dominion by Tom Holland. Very good book. Um, It really did actually build up my faith. Uh, It has, it was still very faithful to its objective it didn't just say events, but it displayed ideas as people would have believed them. I think that's the last important detail I wrote down. And that's something that I just, I love in a good history author. It really made me want to read the rest of everything that Tom Holland has written. He's written several books that I now want to try and get my hands on, except for I already have such a huge reading list. And what I really love about a good history author is that he doesn't just say, oh, this is what this person believed from his perspective, but he tries to convey the beliefs, the theologies, the way that the person would want them understood. So it'd be like if I came in and I tried to tell you about the Muslim faith as a conservative Christian, I would not paint that faith the way that a a Muslim would want you to see it. I would not paint it in any way with the conviction or the understanding or the empathy that would probably be needed that Tom Holland shows in this book. So I'm incredibly impressed by Tom Holland and I concede he's written this book better than I think most anybody could have. So it was really a good book. Um, The last things I want to do is go through the pros and cons of the book. Again, I'm not trying to do a book review, but I want there to be kind of like an understanding of the book before we go in. Uh, So there's going to be a little bit of a book review, even though this isn't a book review, because again, I'm not in a position to be able to criticize this book. I don't know my history well enough. I don't have any credentials worthy. I've never written a book, even though like, you know, I've tried. Um, so this is just going to be a quick go through the book. For me, some highlights of the book that were pros is just first off, Tom Holland. Just, as an author, he's breathtaking and he did justice to his book. If Tom Holland wanted to go into like, let's say, politics, I would put him down as a ambassador or diplomat in a heartbeat because of how faithful he was to pursuing other people versus himself. And trying to convey things through just strictly a historical mindset. Um, I think, but also the book itself was both audacious, but well done. And it was just absolutely breathtaking because it didn't just show the events of history. It showed the ideas that were following through it as well, which is incredibly hard to get down. It is very hard to understand at times because the it's not just to understand what people believe, but why they believe them. You need to do more than just read what they said. You have to read how they lived and what's going on at that time. Uh, One thing that he said that really stuck out to me in the book was this idea that followed St. Augustine, which was love and act accordingly. That phrase is vague. That sentence itself is vague. And if we read it as 21st century people, 
then we would completely misunderstand it. If you want to understand the right way it was meant to go read the book, I'm not about to try and put any synopsis in this book of this book whatsoever. I literally just want to tell you what it's about so you can get in there and read it and love it. And so in total, the book was fantastic. Um, but don't come to this book for spiritual elevation. That's my probably my only con. Um, but it's not even a con because that's not what the book was written for. It's like saying that um, getting angry at a missionary because he didn't uh, write a map for military conquest for the his country back home. That's not why the missionary went in. He didn't come in to do any of your politics, military strategies, none of that mess. He came in to win souls for Jesus. And so if you came up to this book being like, I didn't get spiritually high from this, like Nathan said, well, that wasn't the point of the book. To get the spiritual elevation was on you because the book literally had only one goal. And that was to show where Western society and thought comes from. And it's, it's from a strong Christian background. Even the atheism, even the LGBTQ+, even absolutely all of this comes from at least one way or another Christian thought, Christian belief. And so it all owes homage at least a little bit to its Christian faith. And also by understanding where you come from, you can better understand who you are. So that was literally the book, book's sole point. And it, it does very well to stick to that. Not like someone who's like, oh yeah, stay in your lane. Like that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like saying that you're going to come in to Walmart to buy one grocery item and then you're going to leave. Very few people can achieve that when they go into Target. So let's say Tom Holland goes into Target. Basically, he said, I'm going to Target. I'm picking up a box of pasta. I'm going home. He did not walk out with a new Ottoman. Like He went in, he got his pasta and he went home, but he got the best pasta and he was still able to encapsulate all the process of buying the pasta without having to keep his eyes down or anything. He was able to look at some products and go, oh, I like that. Maybe I should research that more when I get home. Like he didn't get distracted, but he did what he was doing very well. My analogy fell apart very quickly, but hopefully you get what I mean. Now comes the bulk of this podcast. <laughs> this is the reason that we are here. And the reason that we are here is because I've had a lot of thoughts from this book. But most of them came towards the ending. About three-fourths of the way book. Oof. Oof. Bear with me for a second. Because I meant to say about three-fourths of the way through the book. Oh my goodness. My English broke, guys. I'm so sorry. Anyway, three-fourths of the way through the book, I saw the ending coming. And it wasn't very hard to reach. Again, I had the podcast with me. So I was able to understand who Tom Holland was outside of it a little bit. Getting about three-fourths of the way through the book. Oh, another detail was that I had actually watched a, and I'll put this in quotation marks, debate between Tom Holland and N.T. Wright. Two of like my favorite modern authors in one room. I had to watch it. And I was hoping for something spicy, aggressive, something that was really thought-provoking. It was thought-provoking, but it ended up being just these two absolutely fangirling over Paul. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, like it really was. They absolutely loved being in the same room. And even though they pushed each other and learned from each other, they really just got so well along. It wasn't a debate. It fell apart at the seams as a debate, but it was a fantastic thing to, to listen. And that's um, that's unbelievable 
on YouTube, they have podcasts as well, such as Ask NT Write Anything podcast, which is, a, again, a re- another really good podcast. I really look forward to anything they put out. But I was listening to, actually, I think it was an NT, Ask NT Write Anything podcast. And NT Write literally said, like, if there's any, a time, any other time you can get me and Tom Holland in the same room, please do, because that was enjoyable. And the moderator was like, you know what? Let's do that. But at least let make sure I have a microphone in the room, because that's going to be pure gold, because y'all two were brilliant. But having listened to that and the way that influenced my thought was that Tom Holland was not just able to get in the room with N.T. Wright, a powerhouse apologist, and hold his own original faith, he was actually able to talk in a way similar to Christians, that Christians would, with the same passion and vigor for, for things in the Bible, while still maintaining his socialist human beliefs. And that actually comes down to the fact that he is socialist humanist. There's going to come a point in this book where he's going to have to avoid a lot of the things that, say, Francis Schaeffer brings up. Francis Schaeffer writes a book that is similar in structure. The bones are the same, but everything else is kind of different. Because Francis Schaeffer's book, um, The God Who Is There, and then uh, He Is There and He's Not Silent, both of those book kind of go, books go hand in hand. And also, uh, I believe it's called The Loss of Reason. Uh, those books are, first off, I read them all as quick as I could. I absolutely love Francis Schaeffer. He's actually my favorite author, period. Um, the, Surprise, he's dead. He goes through history as well. He goes through what he calls a line of depression, which basically is the process of modern thought and modernity, but from an apologetical standpoint. So he goes through it and he talks about Christian morals. Ironically, that's the same thing that Tom Holland was talking about, but they were talking about it in two different ways. Francis Schaeffer was talking about something called an absolute. You're going to see that pop up again and how we need an absolute in order to tack on morals to that. If you want to get more in depth on it, please read his book. We do not have time on this podcast to discuss that. Uh, maybe later on, but not, not, not right now. Not right now. And so Tom Holland avoids absolutes in his book, but specifically talks about history, which again was the point of the book. You can't fault him on it. It was the whole point of the book. But about three-fourths of the way through the book, I saw the end coming. First off, Tom Holland would need to stitch socialism together with the threads of Christianity that Tom had weaved. In other words, if he's to maintain his original belief, he's going to have to show some type of validity and certainty in his beliefs. Where does this come from? You cannot believe something without being willing to fight for it. Otherwise, you never believed it. There's this proliferant thought in like scholasticism that you should be able to just follow the facts no matter what, but that's not how faith and belief works. If Tom Holland is truly a socialist, it should be so darn hard for him to leave socialism. And that's good. That's the way it should be. I'm not against that. <laughs> Say it's misplaced as a conservative Christian, but that's, that's really it. And so because of this, after going through the history of Christianity and really getting so close to some things that Francis Schaeffer was saying as far as why God has to exist, he's going to have to weave together some direction to go with socialism, which happens in, again, like the last tenth of the last chapter, which is called woke, ironically. (laughs) So by at the end of it, what he does is he shows that the natural descendant of Christianity in Western society is going to be socialism and to be completely transparent his move was a death stroke. It was a um, fatality to Christianity in a certain way. If you take the book for face value, it won a debate without winning a debate. For, for one, what it showed was we can get along in this one area 
He basically looks headlong into a lot of arguments Christians have been using to confirm God and can and basically uses it very craftily to flip it around into socialism. Again, that's not the point of the book. He does very well at avoiding that whole conversation up until the end when he has to show his cards. So it's not like he's being malicious. I'm not saying he's being malicious, but in the end of the book, if you read it, the last half of the chapter is going to be a death stroke for Christianity unless you have certain understandings. Don't. It is a very friendly book. It is a very friendly book to Christianity. Don't be fooled. It is a death stroke to Christianity, even though it's not attacking anybody. That's like one of the worst attacks is the ones that aren't malicious, but still prove you wrong anyway. You're kind of left with nothing. You're like, oh, that person was attacking me. I could throw. No, he, he kind of sh- wiggled his way in there. But he basically made socialism Christianity's natural successor and did that by showing that morals, the morals for socialism come from Christianity. And he does that very craftily. He puts it in there several times uh, that basically says he's holding up the torch, I guess. No, that's not right. Anyway, but at the same time, again, not maliciously, this is not the point of the book. Tom Hunt is a historian, not a philosopher and not an apologist. I would, a lot of people refer to Charles Darwin as a scientist. I would not refer to Charles Darwin as a scientist. I would refer to him as a pollen apologist for the atheist faith. Even though he does a lot of science and he is a scientist, he is. A lot of the books I've ever seen him publish have been more things like the God delusion. And the reason I would say he's an apologist, not for, but against the Christian faith, is because a lot of his time is spent arguing against this concept of God because he believes that by getting past this hurdle, he will push, you will push towards a better society for the future, which is the objective of atheism. Um, Tom Holland is not that. Some people are probably like, why are you mentioning Charles Darwin? So I'm trying to say that Tom Holland is not that. He is a historian through and through and is perfectly fine giving Christianity its spotlight because that's what it deserves because it's history. But he is not an apologist. Because of this, he's not going to have to dabble in philosophy in this book, and he shouldn't, honestly, uh, until it is necessary. So if he's talking about Plato or the Plato belief, yeah, he's going to have to bring up philosophy and he's going to have to do philosophy. Like, that's the burden of a historian. If you're going to be a historian, you got to know about um, about Pythagoras and his family and all that they've done. His daughters that were chancellors of colleges before either feminism or colleges were a thing. His wife, who basically came up with the Pythagoras theorem or Pythagoras himself, who was like, I think, like best friends with Plato or something. I might be wrong on that one. But basically, like. You got, you're going to have to know about these people, so because of that, you're going to have to know some math. Likewise, you're going to have to know some philosophy. However, and so he would have known about this topic of absolutes because Plato and Aristotle argued about it a lot. If you've ever seen the famous painting of Plato and Aristotle, that one's pointing up, one's pointing down. I think Plato's pointing up, Aristotle's pointing down. What they're talking about there is absolutes, and we're going to get into that in a second. But Tom Holland dodges philosophy. Uh, His dodge of philosophy is actually dodging the same type of fatality to socialism because the difference between communism and Christianity is really only one thing. And we'll talk about that in a second because Tom Tom Holland does actually bring up communism uh, in the early Christian church. We'll talk about that in a second. But he avoids the death stroke of absolutes. What is an absolute? An absolute is an absolute. 
I hate to say that, but it's literally of all the sentences I just said, the absolute is the most certain. And it's also the one thing you don't know the most about, even though it should be the first thing you know everything about. If I were to ever use words, but never have an absolute, you'd never understand a word I say. That all sounds like a cryptic riddle. I'm trying to be upfront, but it all sounds cryptic. Welcome to philosophy. But what an absolute is, is it is a factor so thoroughly strong, you can tack all of reality onto it. Because all of reality is outside of you. It has to be. The fact you're listening to a podcast shows that you have a perception of something greater than you. So because of that, there has to be an absolute. In other words, there has to be something bigger than you and everything you're perceiving to hold it all together. It can't just be all held together willy-nilly. This is an issue that both socialism and atheism and human, like everyone all together really kind of has. And this is one of the things that Francis Schaeffer brings up in his books, is why I brought it up earlier, is that morals need an absolute. If you were even to just look at somebody and say, what you did is wrong, you'd need an absolute to tack that onto. In other words, you would need a, something like a law. You would need something like a moral to put that onto. Now, Tom Holland does follow morals in his book, but he doesn't follow absolutes. So because of this, his concept of following morals goes strictly into the history side, which is perfectly fine, but also can permit him to make socialism the natural progressor to Christianity. And in a way it is, but in a way it isn't. Because Christianity is not founded on this idea of living a good Christian life. It is founded on this idea of pursuing God in absolute. The absolute. The only absolute. Again, if you want to talk about absolutes in another podcast, we can. That's about all we have the time to talk about today. An absolute is a reality so strong, so grand, that it per- everything that you perceive that is beyond you can be placed onto it. Including, and more specifically, using morals but also like the purpose of living the purpose of life um life itself and existence itself all these things need absolute in order to exist and to function so if you point a finger at somebody and say you did me wrong again actually not again this is different it's not even that there's you're talking about morals at this point if you have a perception that somebody did you wrong morals or no morals you feel like somebody did you wrong You are making an appeal to a greater authority. The concept of right and wrong itself appeals to authority, whether you're attaching it to morals or not. There's been a lot of arguments recently that says we don't need God in order to have morals. This is not that conversation. I'm talking about the perception of having something right or wrong done to you in general. Of the concept of something greater than you in general requires an absolute. Tom Holland doesn't bring this up at all in his book. So while his book itself can be at face value a fatality to Christianity, digging a little bit deeper into it, it's actually the other way around. Again, this is not the point of the book. He is not, Tom Holland is not a philosopher. He's not an apologist. He's not an anti-apologist. He's none of these things. So I am not demanding this of the book because this is not a book review. This is simply my thoughts afterwards. And I could be 100% wrong. These are all up for conversation. Let me know what you think. But I am not trying to say that Tom Holland did wrong by not bringing this up or that he's doing a malicious intent. I adore his book. I think as far as books go, this is a 
role model book as far as history books are concerned. I absolutely love it. And we can't sing enough of his praises on that. But that is something that is inherently missing, not because the book is flawed, but because that's not what the book was there to do. Now, another point is that there is a very big difference between Christianity and communism, but pretty much only one. Very big, but only one. It's a big one, but it is a one. Um, and the reason for this is because Tom Holland refers to a Christian communist city. There is no such thing. But also, there's no such thing as a Christian capitalist city. The United States of America was never a Christian nation. The reason for this is because communism and capitalism are both focused on one particular goal in two different directions. They have the same goal, different ways of achieving them which is why it's ironic that they, they treat each other so maliciously. Um, and the goal of communism, also capitalism in a way, is the prosperity of humanity. Now, where they diverge is that communism and socialism both are different things, but again, different, different podcasts, but they both have a similar objective, humanity, humanism. If Christianity has to be, and I mean has to, if Christianity has to be the religion of capitalism, humanism has to be the religion of socialism. And if democracy has to be the governmental rule of capitalism, communism has to be the governmental rule of communism. No, of socialism. Communism for socialism communism is the political setup that's not there's like a billion exceptions to those rules like a billion but if you were to go into cold war era and see the pure dichotomy that would be the dichotomy can you have a communist capitalist uh yeah communist capitalist no a socialist capitalist yeah can you have a capitalist communist i mean it'd be hard really hard like really really hard but yeah like i would, I would actually venture to say no but yeah um Karl marx didn't invent communism he just invented he just was one of his most prolific writers and also was one of their greatest strategists that honestly communists have never listened to because Karl marx actually suggested starting communism off of capitalism not because he thought capitalism worked, but because he did not see a quick and immediate transition as being a solution at all, uh, but, be, but looking at it as a way to see everything fail very quickly and also as a way to make sure no one ever jumps on board. No one has ever listened to Karl Marx. <laughs> it's like the last part of the Communist Manifesto and no one ever listened to him like ever. I was like, what the heck? I didn't even know that this was in their literature. That's kind of sad. But um, and I'm not saying that Karl Marx was a communist capitalist. What I'm saying is that he suggested starting off that way simply for the sake of a transition. Um, communist, commun uh, communist boigus, that's not how you pronounce that, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, accumulating wealth and property to transition into a communist state. That's communist to capitalism. It's like a transition. It's not meant to be a permanent place, but this is not the place to have that podcast. The reason that none of these work 
First off, communism itself focuses on, focuses on prospect, the prosperity of humanity, not the prosperity of humans, but the prosperity of humanity, which means if we put up a theoretical situation, we're killing off most of humanity in the name of humanity as a necessary scenario, in other words, overpopulation. In order for humanity itself, the breed and the peoples, to continue on, 70% of humanity needs to be killed. A communist would say, that's a sad, sad reality, but if it is necessary, we must do it. What? (laughs) What? According to lots of things that were in the book, that was in the book, Dominion, again, Tom Holland's book, the one we're talking about right now, that's not an option. Even for communists, because communism comes from the idea that every person has God's image inside of them, thus has something called human rights and so forth. That's not the image that communism puts up. The reason being is the goal that you have to strip away the outer layers and get to the goals. The goal of communism is the prosperity of humanity kind. And by doing so and seeking the prosperity of humankind, you will reach a point where every person is living a fulfilled life by structure and order and picking up and pushing the humanity. Now it's not ugly. It's not a it's not a bad scenario. Honestly, if I wasn't a Christian, I probably wouldn't be too hard against communism except for the way I was raised. It's not as bad as it sounds. There are people who've taken it bad. Fascism is a real thing, but that's where kind of communism comes from. And before the world wars, it was viewed as beautiful because It was believed that if we can take care of the humanity, the humans individually will be okay. And in fact, it will provide them stability because they will be working for a stable goal within the hands of humans. After World War I and II, that idea was lost, which is why when I described communism a little while earlier and the 70% being killed off, it seemed hideous. It seemed ugly. It seemed dirty. And I'm sure it offended maybe a communist. Uh, I'm sure it did offend communists. But before World War I and II, that wasn't an idea that could have been perceived. It was after World War I and II that we did. So that's where a lot of that transition would have come from. A pessimism kind of came upon humanity, one that hadn't been felt for a while. A good old Nathaniel Hawthorne, Edgar Allan Poe type of uh, depression. Woohoo! <laughs> and so um, Christianity, however, doesn't focus on the humanity. The reason that humans have rights and individual value is not because of the human themselves. Humanism views it that way. Christianity doesn't. In fact, Christianity has a relatively pessimistic view of just the human. It is the image of God inside of them that gives every person an individual and individual right and purpose and value. You take that out, you take that image of God out, and it's gone. There's Christians would be like, well, that doesn't matter anymore because I'm following God. I guess I'll leave the humans behind. Now, that's not possible because it was made to be part of us. That scenario doesn't exist. But it's still the example that is to be given. I mean, if I'm going to look at communism and give them such a bad <laughs> example as like the killing, we got to do the same to the, to the Christians, which is that their view is of God. Our view is of God. We focus on God. So because of that uh, view of trying to see each person as equal for the sake of the prosperity, humans is counterproductive and even to a certain point, idolatrous. This is why conservative Christians have a very hard time signing up for liberal agendas because a lot of the times the things that they would normally support are built up in idolatrous ways because they're not focusing on the humans. 
They're not focusing on the individuals. They're focusing on God. And because they can focus on God, they take care of the individuals. We have a whole entire podcast that either was just done or is about to be done. That you hope you listen to them both at the same time that describes this. But it all comes down to the core of their focus. You're focusing on God, not on the humans, which makes them polar opposites. I hope this becomes very clear in the two podcasts that I'm either already published. The first one and the second one is on its way. So keep going on the conversation. I guess it all matches anyway. So this is like part two of a three-part series. Now that's great. Anyway, this is a very huge difference. One difference, but it's very huge. The Imago Day is something that Tom Holland touched on and how it leads to individual rights is something he added, but he treated it as simply a philosophical concept in the perspective of humanity. And he didn't do wrong by that. Again, that is the objective of the book. So I am not criticizing in any way at all. But because of that, if you take on this other perspective of the way that Christians view Imago Day and take that philosophical, philosophical thought and trudge it throughout the rest of history, it makes communism unbearable for Christians. Unbearable. They would rather go to a worse off political view than pursue something that takes them away from God. That's been a theme throughout the Bible's history and everything it's touched. It was just, I want to say it was just before Jesus was born. It might have been while he was a child. We're in Jerusalem. And Pontius Pilate has decided that he wants aqueducts. Aqueducts would be nice. All of the good little Roman cities have them. I want an aqueduct. For those who don't know what an aqueduct is, it's like um piping that takes water from one place to another using gravity rather than suction. These guys were good at it. They could get it down to just barely the right degree. Romans could get it down to just barely the right degree to where the water would flow through. To get a better image on what aqueducts are, there's a game, I know it's at least in the app, uh, the Apple App Store that where you can like build aqueducts and have water flow through, that's an aqueduct. Go ahead and look at it. When I first saw it, it looked like a bunch of arches to a gate. I was like, I don't know what we got here. It's actually at the very top is where the water flows through. And so it's just this big old, um, a big old pipe that goes, is being held up by, um, because it uses gravity rather than suction, it has to be held up way high. And they used arches to do so. So it's actually support beams for a bridge for water rather than gates. As a little kid, I looked at it all the time. I was like, why are there archways? <laughs> no, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. Anyway, <clears throat> this is what Pontius Pilate wanted for Jerusalem. In order to get it done, he needed a lot of money. So not just using his own political funds, he decided to take funds out of um, the temple, the temple's treasury. Needless to say, there were some Jews that were not happy about this. But in Pontius Pilate's mind, he's like, well, y'all don't pay taxes, so I might as well. Which, by the way, later on, he tries to install taxes. That starts a revolt and creates a breed of Jews known as terrorists called zealots. These guys were crazy. <laughs> That's a lesson for a different time. But they, were, they, were, they, they stood for what they believed. They were convicted. Uh, they believed that paying taxes to Caesar was equivalent to worshiping an idol. But anywho, neither here nor there. Uh, Pontius Pilate was like, guys, this is for you. This is going to make your lives better. Every single Jew there protested so hard and thousands of them actually ended up losing their lives because during the protest, there were a bunch of hidden police. And on the command of Pontius Pilate, 
they popped out and killed people. Now, Pontius Pilate got a pretty serious threat from Caesar for this. Caesar was not a big fan because of this. And I got this all from Josephus' work. So if you would like to go get a better reading of it, go check out Josephus' work. Even during this time, the Jews would rather have died than pursue anything that even appeared to them for a little bit to be contrary to worshiping their God. That is the same process here. So whenever you see a society that looks like it's doing something communist, chances are good it's not doing something communist in actuality, even though in practice they're doing something very similar. These two seeds of thought are so big, it makes completely different worlds, even though every single action they take is the same. That is the difference. In truth, Jesus wasn't political was transcendent past this because politics regulate culture. But what Jesus came to do was to redeem through culture. He was here to redeem culture. So that way, if you are a tribal society, you come to Christ, you're still a tribal society. You don't have to be communist, but the way you live and act and think should still be different. Likewise, if you're a communist society, Christ redeems through the culture. If you're capitalist, redeems through the culture. That is the point. That Christ wasn't worried about trying to install this idea of a political view throughout the whole entire world. He, just he tried to be transcended above that. And there were lots of questions brought to Christ we can talk about in a later podcast that were designed to try and catch Christ in political questions that he sidestepped by not being concerned about politics. Like at all. Like if you were to ask him who he thought should be president from the last election, if it should have been like Trump or Biden, Christ would have said, I don't care. But what are you doing with your life? Like, <laughs> you wouldn't have cared at all. Lots of people were like, you know, God's for Trump or God's for Biden. I don't think God really cares. What are you going to do with your life and the way that you act is what's going to influence not just your community, but your government. So if you can get mad and say that God would follow this president, but you're not going to live out such a life as to try and influence those people, then honestly, God's caught you in a hypocritical stance right there. Anyway, podcast for. Probably next time, to be honest. Anyway, those are my major thoughts on the book. I could give a synopsis, but if this podcast was kind of all over the place by nature, much like Tom Holland's book, <laughs> by nature, was not dedicated towards telling you how to live your life, but instead for you to better understand the life you're living now. It was an amazing book. It really was an amazing book. And I don't want you to think anything I've said today has been critical of either Tom Holland or the book. These are the thoughts that I've had afterwards. I don't want to criticize this book in any way. Even the cons I have were not cons because the book was only trying to achieve its goal. And it was that, you know, you can't get a spiritual elevation from a book that talks about the past of Christianity. And honestly, why should you? It's a book about history. Before we go, though, I would like to mention the rest is history. Tom Holland and uh, Dominic Sandbrook, they're both author authors. Dominic Sandbrook talks about more like modern history and writes a lot of children's books, to my understanding. Um, Tom Holland writes a lot of books today about ancient history, uh, and also I want to say they work somewhere else, but they do have a podcast called The Rest is History. It's a really a fantastic podcast. Please go listen to it. They're fantastic. Both of them are fantastic people, and I absolutely love listening to them talk. They do have like a drinking game going on where every time that Tom Holland um, says either says certain words or mentions Christianity, he takes a shot. So <laughs> that should tell you a little bit about Tom Holland. Uh, but anyway. Before we go, my only challenge is this. 
The concept of the absolute honestly completely changes the way this book is influential in someone's life. I was able to get spiritually elevated by this book because I understood absolutes and that without this absolute, a lot of the things Tom Holland was talking about goes a completely different direction. How would such a factor influence your life? How should it? When you understand an absolute, something so grand and so big that it is holds together everything that is beyond you. Again, the fact you're listening to a podcast and basically entering into a conversation and understand something's been given to you from outside is an acknowledgement of some type of absolute. So understanding there's an absolute, how does this influence your life? How does this influence you? Thank you all guys so much for listening. Next podcast should definitely be um, the scheduled one where we're going to talk about the basically the consequences of the gospel in our lives as understood from the last podcast where we talked about, you know, what is the gospel story? And the last one, it's only like one street down the city of the gospel. The gospel so big that there's way more ways to understand it simply than what one podcast put, could put into it. I could probably create just a whole entire podcast existence on explaining the gospel i would definitely want to find someone more qualified to do that with me if we were to do that but anyway thank y'all guys so much for listening